0: I think that there are other reasons that are propelling us to say, let's get some active components in. Let's think about real estate professional status. Let's think about some other deductions that we could get if we were to try to do things another way.
1: What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategies Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Nisha Mehta. Nisha is an expert in the topic of personal finance and well-being and wellness and side hustles and all those things specifically for some of the highest of high-paid professionals out there, uh, physicians. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about burnout. We're talking about side hustles and all those relevant things to some of the highest of high-paid pros out there, doctors. talked about this a little bit on the show in the past. I think a lot of these lessons apply to many of you out there who I've have talked with and listen to the show who haven't reached out yet who make solid money work a lot of hours and need to decide where to go next so that's what we're talking about today tomorrow's christmas and i just want to thank you for taking a moment to tune in here whether it's christmas eve or christmas day or later that you're listening sure i want to wish you merry christmas to everybody who listens who celebrates christmas and uh, thanks for tuning in at least uh, whenever you're checking in with us. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Vogt. I'm a real estate investor, a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I think we can all relate to the topic of burnout. We have a lot to learn from folks who have been there, who have done that, and who have uh, learned a lot of their lessons. So that's what we're talking about today with Dr. Nisha Mehta. Without any further ado, here we go. Nisha, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: You've got a fantastic brand. I really want to talk about that, talk about physician side gigs and everything that you uh, teach your readers. But for those out there who don't know who you are, don't know what you do, can you give us a little intro into what you do, your business and everything?
0: Yeah, sure. So I'm a physician. I am a radiologist by training. I still practice radiology, but a few years ago on the side, I started Um, I basically started writing just to get some things off of my chest and from there came some speaking events and some other things And I realized that I didn't know a lot of physicians who were doing things on the side And so what I wanted to do was be able to connect with some of them and be able to talk a little bit about Balancing, you know life as a physician with these other things that I was doing so I started a small online community that really had, it had less than 10 people on it. And it wasn't, the intention was never to be anything big. It was just a place to run advice by each other. Or if I couldn't do a speaking engagement, maybe say, does anybody else want to do this one and, and share some, some things back and forth basically. And that was the intention. So fast forward now four and a half years, and we have over a hundred thousand physicians on our two linked communities. So we've got physician side gigs, um, which has over 66,000 physicians, I think, now. And then we have our linked community called Physician Community, which has about 40,000 physicians. And so a lot of what we're doing is really number one, I mean, I don't know how much all of your listeners know about physician education, but one thing we definitely do not get is any business and finance education. We get a lot of great medical training. We do a really good job of training physicians, we don't do a very good job of teaching them how to deal with everything else going on in their lives. And so a lot of what my community is aimed to do is really to create a community where we can all kind of mentor each other, bounce ideas off of each other, teach each other the things that we should have learned in medical school, hopefully have each other not get taken advantage of by the same things, um, and hopefully really be able to help each other to augment some of those other income streams to kind of give us some more flexibility to have the life in medicine that we want on our terms.
1: Nice. That's great. That's fantastic. I mean, the I was really surprised, not being a physician or in the medical field myself, any in any way whatsoever, uh, to learn that how common like money problems are amongst these high-paid professionals, some of the highest-paid professionals in the world. And it's I don't know if it's money management or maybe they're not making enough to cover the cost of student loan debt, but there's a reason that so many physicians want to have side gigs.
0: It's true. It's it's funny because I think, you know, we have a little bit of a PR problem because everybody sees the doctor lifestyle 20, 30 years out and they assume or you know whatever they see on TV shows and they assume that we're living this wonderful life where everybody's just rolling in cash and can do whatever they want and afford the country club memberships and the nice cars and the reality is is that Most physicians on average come out with close to $300,000 in debt after training and interest rates of six to 9%. So um, you do that math and you think about, you know, most people are paying more towards their or at least equivalent um, or in the vicinity of towards their student loan payments every month as they are towards their mortgage payments, for example. And so what happens is, is in that initial stage in a physician's career, they're actually quite stressed out from a financial standpoint, because on one hand, they're making this income that looks like a big number. And so they're treated as such by the government and by all these, you know, you're taxed in accordance with the the income number that you're making. But what they're not taking into account is that you're also paying all these additional expenses that go along with being an early stage physician, paying back your student loans, paying back a lot of debt that may be outside of student loans, right? A lot of people have had to take out personal loans because remember by the time most physicians come out of training, they're already in their thirties. And so they haven't been putting away money for the past decade. They haven't been having this nest egg that they've been able to build to be able to fund their first house. They haven't put any money into retirement accounts, all of these things. And so they're paying catch up on so many different levels. Maybe they have some kids, they need to start funding They're 529s, you need to start catching up for this, you know, this decade of lost income that everybody else has had prior to what they're starting with. And so when you start doing those numbers, all of a sudden those income, I'm not going to complain and say that that number is not substantial, it is. But it doesn't go as far as what a lot of people would think. And it's not just other people that think that. It's physicians too, right? Because like I said, we don't get that sort of education early on. And so you come out thinking, well, okay, I've got $200,000 in student loans, but I'm also making $250,000 my first year. So, oh, in two years, I'll pay it off. And what (laughs) they don't realize is that there's this thing called compounding interest. And there's like all these other things that we've just never learned about. And so when they start actually doing... A budget with those numbers and seeing all the different places where that money is going it doesn't it doesn't always leave as much as what people would think
1: so when it comes to solving that problem, seeing it, you're making a quarter million, but you have a quarter million or more in debt at a fairly high interest rate uh, you're You're the physician's side gig doctor. Are you finding that most of these physicians getting out are able to Add a significant side income with one of these side gigs, or is it more like a money management type of uh, problem? Like eighty. That's a great
0: question. That, that's a great question, and I think you could take either angle, right? You could either live like a resident for a few years more and really cut back on that spending, and really aim all of your money towards debt management. And then there's the people who say, "I really haven't had much of a life for." the past 15 years because I've been studying and, you know, I haven't really been able to um, do all the things that I want to do. And now like it's time that I got to live my life and I need to buy a house and I need to buy a car and I've got to find some money that's able to justify, you know, that's able to to bankroll some of that. And so um, what you will see is sort of, you know, You'll, you'll see a lot of people either doing both or doing one or the other, but people really trying to say, how is it that I can start building that nest egg so that I have some of that flexibility in terms of this life that I thought that I would have coming out of training that's actually not as easy to get as I thought. So um, certainly, I think that you know being financially responsible is huge, right? You could make a good argument that you would never need any other side income if you were just really smart about how you spent your money and budgeting and things like that. But I think that also as physicians, we know that tomorrow's never guaranteed and people are kind of like, well, I'm 30 something already and I have yet to, you know, take an international vacation or do any of these things that I wanted to do, but I never was able to do because I was in so much debt, and I made such little. You know, most residents make fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year, and are often in high cost of living areas, and so they're really not saving much, and they don't really have a lot of bandwidth to go have that fancy dinner or, you know, buy a car that's not ten, fifteen years old, right? Whatever those things were that they were doing for the past decade, so they come out wanting to be able to do some of that, and a lot of my goal is really to able to help people facilitate, you know, having that life on their terms. And and sometimes you're making these decisions also of, well, we've just had children and I maybe want to be able to take a day or two off and be able to spend time with my kids or do something else so that I don't get burnt out because burnout is a huge problem in the physician community. So if you talk to physicians, I don't know if you know this, but 70% of physicians actually say that they wouldn't recommend a career in medicine to their children. So it's a huge problem right now where people are kind of like, you know, despite the fact that I love the heart of what I do, there's all these other things going on in medicine that make me say it's not worth it. And I can't look the person in the eye that means the most to me and tell them that they should follow in my footsteps. And so there's a big problem there. And I think that part of being able to avoid that problem is having the flexibility to make decisions that are compatible with the lifestyle that you want. And a lot of that for some people, could be to be able to cut down a little bit clinically or to say you know what instead of seeing 40 patients today i want to see 30 patients today and i want to be able to spend more time with each patient and how am i going to make those finances work and so that's where people start thinking often about well what is it that i can do to amp up some other revenue streams such that i'm not so dependent on that primary income and i have some flexibility to really have career longevity and that's that's really honestly the heart of what i do in terms of my own side work with physician burnout and all of these things is really trying to emphasize career longevity Amongst physicians, because we're seeing so many people leaving medicine. So, we see women in medicine, for example, within the first five years of training, a significant percentage of them, about 40% of them, will either cut back clinically or actually leave medicine entirely. And so, how is it that we take the physician workforce and get them to be able to do this for the next 10, 20, 30 years, however long that they want, but do it on their terms such that they're enjoying the process instead of going? full out working 60, 70 hour weeks for the first 10 years, but then just quitting because they can't take it anymore, right? Um, From a public health standpoint, that's a really big concern in terms of the sustainability of the physician workforce, where we already had a shortage that was projected far beyond, far before burnout became a huge issue. And then burnout became an even bigger issue over the last decade or so, secondary to all these changes in the healthcare landscape. And you're saying, well, Now there's all these physicians who are looking to leave medicine. And how do you reconcile that with the fact that we're using the medical system more than ever? People are living longer than ever with chronic disease and the needs for healthcare, you know, physicians and is greater than it ever is. And yet our workforce is shrinking. How do you put those two things together? And I think that the answer to that really lies in people being able to have medicine or to stay in these careers on their own terms for as long as possible.
1: That's tough. I mean, and I think about these, that, what you just said regarding burnout and how prevalent it is in light of positions also needing to make smart money decisions. And I can't personally, you know, relate directly, but I notice that this is a, maybe not a great example, but if I get a bad night's sleep the next day or a couple, a couple of bad nights sleep, the next day I can't work as hard. I can't make as good decisions with my diet. I can't, you know, think as clearly. And I extrapolate that to a career where somebody's burned out and they need to, in their personal lives, make tough money decisions. I could see it being a lot harder to properly manage a, a kind of tight financial situation if you're also yeah. burned out in your career.
0: Right, exactly. And I think that people are just juggling so many balls. At some point, it just becomes overwhelming. And so that is when you see physicians just saying, you know, I'm going to hand my money over to a financial advisor who's going to charge me, you know, 2% of my net income to manage my finances and rebalance my portfolio twice a year instead of, how do I make this money work for me?
1: So, I mean, what is the solution here? Well, how do we fix this?
0: (laughs) So, I mean, that's a million dollar or probably a trillion dollar question at this point. (laughs) Um, And so... I don't think that we're going to be able to address that in the context of one podcast. But I think that, you know, for me, some of the biggest things revolve around, number one, community building. As you know, obviously, I I feel very strongly about community building amongst physicians because I think that just having that camaraderie in an era where things are so depersonalized and so automated in, in the healthcare world is really important for people to be able to run ideas by each other. But number two, really being able to kind of take a few steps back and say, what is it that we want in our lives, right? And, and then going after those things. And I think that that's really, really important because most of these people, um, most of my colleagues, myself included have basically checked a pre-med box back in high school and then been on this like very set pathway in terms of, okay, your next step is you've got to pass this class and then you've got to pass this exam and then you've got to do this application and then repeat cycle, repeat cycle all the way through med school residency fellowship. And so by the time they get out, they are at this point where they haven't asked themselves what they want in over a decade. And I think it's really important for everyone to kind of take that step back and say, okay, if I could design life on my terms, what would that look like? And then how do I get there?
1: That's a big question, big, tough question. And one of the things that we talk about on the show here a lot is the fire movement, you know, not just in the context of medicine, obviously, but a lot of folks are finding that they're on a career trajectory. uh, They're not a big fan of, or they know they want to get out soon whatever i mean is that does that kind of factor in here are are doctors even really able to kind of think about these things and plan ahead when you get to your like like you were saying mid-30s and you haven't taken a international vacation and yet you have all this student loan debt i mean is the fire movement even really relevant to the physician world
0: So I think there's actually a very strong fire movement within the physician world. Um, I think that certainly people have, over the last few years, that's actually become a very popular concept of, you know, how is it that I get enough money there that I'm able to either scale back or actually retire early? Um, I have to say, I think it's, I think that the heart of what we do, 95% of physicians, if you were to ask them like the actual heart of medicine and, and the doctor patient relationship, do you enjoy it? And the answer to that is almost always yes. And I think we're very fortunate to be in that position where we do work that's extremely gratifying. So I don't think that most people actually want to leave patient care. And so for me, the big question that I always ask everybody is, is it that you're actually trying to retire from medicine or is it that you just need to be able to do it on your own terms so that you can enjoy it and you're not sort of this cog in the wheel in a system that's becoming increasingly like bureaucratic, right? so for me personally, I would love to continue to practice medicine until I'm 70, right? I'm, that would be great for me. I just want to be able to do it on my own terms, right? So at some point, does that mean I can drop my call privileges, for example, or does that mean that I can work two days a week instead of five days a week? Or does that mean that I can have a shorter workday? Um From nine to three instead of you know seven thirty to six or whatever it is, right? And I think that that's really the, in my opinion, that is the goal of a lot of physicians. Is not necessarily to exit entirely if they have the perfect job, but I think that some people have lost faith in the fact that that perfect job exists, and so the fire movement is gaining steam in that community where people are just like, I just need to get out. Um, But it's my hope that not too many people get out because we need doctors. I mean, we if you, if you look at the numbers, I'm a big policy person. And so when I, when I look at the numbers, I, I feel like we need to find a way to keep physicians in medicine because otherwise we really, I'm scared about who will be taking care of me when I'm 60 or 70, because we don't have enough physicians. So Absolutely. I hope it doesn't gain too much steam is what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, but I mean the the concept of do doing your career on your own terms. I'm sure it means something different to everybody. But when you really get down to the core of it, it has to. It really comes down to being in a financial position where you can cut back on your hours, like you were saying, or or work differently. And I think when it comes to building up a side. Uh, Cash flow on the side, whatever the path may be, maybe real estate, maybe something else, people don't know how to get started. And particularly when you're working 100 hour weeks, as a, I have a buddy that's an ER doc and he seems like he works 120 hours a week. So, I mean, how do you even <laughs> you get well started? <laughs> uh, how do you even get started when you work that much?
0: And I think that that is probably the most frequently asked question on our forums is just you know people feel so overwhelmed with how to start because we've always been told you know we've had this pathway and we just go down it and we know what's next and we know how to do it and all of a sudden to have this idea of okay the world is my oyster and i can pick anything and and pursue it in any way is very foreign to most physicians um and so i think that that is one of the biggest mental challenges that people have in terms of getting over, it just seems like such an insurmountable task to create another revenue stream that most people say, you know what, I make a lot of money as a doctor, I'm just going to put my head down in the sand and then I'll figure it out. And the unfortunate part of that is that a lot of times I do a lot of coaching and um, a lot of times by the time physicians will come to me, they've already burnt themselves to you know, a crisp. Basically, and then they—they're so far into the. I just need to get out of this situation. That it's very hard to walk them back and and say, well, you know, what situation would you be happy with, and then how do we get you there? So I definitely think that that task of starting is really, really hard. And like you said, time is basically every physician's Achilles heel. I mean, we just don't have it. And so um, getting to the point where you can find that dedicated amount of time every day to work towards a goal or even figure out what that goal is, is a real challenge for most people. I think the one thing that I always tell physicians is once you figure out what that is, you're in a great position relative to the rest of the world to actually pursue side income streams. Because the nice thing about it, right, if I look at my own example, I was never dependent on the side income stream because I was making enough money as a physician that I didn't, you know, I was doing it for fun. And so a lot of My pathway was not time pressured, right? I didn't have to make a certain amount of money from my side hustle. I didn't have to produce, you know, three blogs a week because that was my schedule. I didn't have to do any of that because I did what I did. And if it took off, it took off. And if it didn't, well, I always had my job to fall back on. Same thing when I started investing in real estate, right? I wasn't dependent on that money to keep the lights on. So I could take my time, find the right deals figure out how to find those deals. And then you know I had the benefit of steady cash flow, which made it a lot easier to also go along that pathway of real estate investing. And so I think in a lot of ways, we actually are in a really great position to develop side income streams as long as we're willing to put in that initial effort to, to figure out which pathway we're going down and get started.
1: Always. Putting in the work is the hard part. I love that you... <laughs> you have all of these things going on and you're investing in real estate. And we talk about real estate so much on the show. It's what I love to talk about. I'd be remiss if we didn't dig into your real estate investment strategy. So how are you investing in real estate? What have you chosen to do?
0: Yeah. So I mean, right now we do mostly passive investments um, that I'm hoping to change very soon. I think there's going to be a lot of good buys in the next year or so. (laughs) Um, And so I'm really hoping to be able to get a little bit more started on the active side of things in terms of directly having some cash flowing rentals and things like that. But as of now, mostly syndications, REITs, uh, office buildings, we do a lot of um, investment in, you know, practice buildings as well on, on the, on the medical side of things, which is nice because you have a steady tenant and you know that they're doing, that they're doing well. And that, that has been a really good way for us to diversify in the real estate aspect of things without having to get too much into the nitty gritty. So um, we've definitely taken a more passive approach up until now. And I think we're at the point now where we're starting to feel like it would be nice to have a little bit more of an active real estate profile as well. So that's something that we're looking to expand into.
1: Interesting. So I I wonder where, if I can read into that a little bit, it sounds like maybe the the passive investments weren't 100% Doing it for you, they weren't 100% satisfying. I guess I I don't know the word to put on it. But if you were completely satisfied with the passive investments, you wouldn't even you would say no. The active stuff would be a waste of my time. I'm not going to do it. Am I way
0: off there? I don't think you're way off. I think part of it is also where I see the real estate cycle going. Right. So I think it's been a great decade for a lot of the passive investments. Um, Obviously, we've had great returns, and if I thought I was going to continue to get the returns that I was. You know that I've gotten for the past decade. I don't think I would be looking to to change my strategy at all because it is nice to just invest in a syndication and and watch it flow and get your you know whatever eight percent pref return or whatever it is and then know that you're getting that payout at the end. I do think that things are going to get more challenging in in the syndication realm over the next few years, and I think that's kind of what's spurring me to say, you know, what if I can get some great cash flowing rentals that I know are steady and then also as my life has changed a little bit in terms of me cutting back a little bit clinically, going for something like real estate professional status and having a little bit more of an active profile there could obviously have some big tax benefits for us as a dual physician family. And so I think that there are other reasons that are propelling us to say, let's get some active components in. Let's think about real estate professional status. Let's think about some other deductions that we could get if we were to try to do things another way. So I guess part of it is a tax play um, to some degree, and then and part of it is just where I think you know I think you could always find a good deal no matter if you look hard enough for it so i I think there's still going to be great syndication opportunities. I just feel like I would feel more comfortable if I was a little bit more diversified in my real estate portfolio so
1: interesting, cool so you you uh, I'm sure you have a plan as to your you know your plan of attack, but in moving from passive to active investments. Uh, It sounds like maybe you're going single families. I don't know, but I want to just dig into a little bit of what's your your first move to go active.
0: (laughs) I think, you know, I I have not quite figured that out yet. Um, Right now I'm doing a lot of reading and I'm looking, you know, I'm just getting comfortable with a lot of the due diligence related to active that I didn't necessarily have related to the more, more passive stuff. And so, Right now, I think what we'll probably do is start with a few single families um, just to be able to get a lay of the land and, and minimize our losses should anything go wrong. And then I think the eventual goal would be you know, to buy some more of these bigger multifamily, maybe group in with some friends and basically do some syndications on our own, right? And not necessarily be giving up a portion of the, the profits to an operator, but, but keep it within ourselves. And, and, and I think we have the network now of physicians, um, and friends to be able to do some of that with. So the goal I guess would be to a keep some more of that profit to ourselves and then have a little bit more of the benefits from the tax perspective as well.
1: Cool. Cool. I love that. I mean, I, I love that. Um, I find in interviewing a lot of folks who, I don't know, their brand is not really a hundred percent real estate, but there's a little real estate component. I mean, I, yeah. I've talked to, Uh, a blogger who sold a blog and, you know, retired on that, that windfall. But he still said is one of his top three investments was was some of the real estate he invested in. And I think the proof is in the pudding that so many, so many successful people are so dedicated to investing in real estate that you'd be a fool not to at least
0: learn about it. What happens is, is, you know, and, and I think that that is once you get set one of the most passive ways to make money, even if you are quote unquote actively investing in real estate, right? Once you've got everything set into a pattern, it's pretty hands off, which I think is a great, you know, method. Whereas a lot of my other income streams in terms of side income streams, you know, I get I do a lot of writing, I do a lot of speaking, I do a lot of affiliate marketing and I do, you know, a lot of consulting, things like that. But that's all, you know, in all of those cases, I'm trading Time for money, right? Um, and with the real estate, you don't necessarily have to do that. So I think once you have the the bandwidth to start putting some money into those into real estate and being able to relatively passively make that money work for you, as opposed to the more active component that goes along with like what you said, blogging or any of these other side income streams, I think that it'd be silly not to. To put some of that money in that direction and let some of it work for you without that active component.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, very well proven, and and like you said, we may see some buying opportunities coming up next year, but we shall see. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Nisha, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready?
0: Sure. <laughs>
1: All right. First one: What is the best investment you ever made, other than in your education?
0: That's a hard one. I mean, I could talk about the real estate investments that we've made, but I think actually more so than that, for me, it was a lot of reading. Um, So there is a lot of books that I've read that I feel like have paid themselves off in orders of magnitude. So for me, one of the biggest ones as somebody who's negotiating on a daily basis with a lot of corporate entities and a lot of um, my speaking gigs and stuff really redefining my negotiation process and really putting being very intentional about that and having a good sense of when to walk away from the table and all of those things was a really great time investment on my part because it's really allowed me to be able to a negotiate higher so that I make more from everything that I do and it's also helped me to avoid things that would have been time sinks and not great returns on investment. So I think probably just a few books about negotiation have actually been a huge worthwhile like, return on money for me.
1: Nice. So like Never Split the Difference probably? Yes. In, uh,
0: okay. Love Never Split the Difference. Anybody in my group will tell you that I talk about it nonstop. And I'm pretty sure that half the people there think that I'm being paid to endorse the book, but <laughs> I swear I'm not. I just think that it's a great book because I think it's a mindset, right? And I think that it teaches you a mindset of knowing your worth. And I think that that's so important for everyone um and for me certainly like getting into the mindset of i have a certain worth i'm not going to go below it and i'm going to walk away from the table if i feel like i'm not getting it has allowed me to make so many decisions big small right i I use it on everybody from my kids to get them to do what i want them to do to ceos of big companies um, And I've been able to negotiate things, you know, literally with one of them over a hundredfold what their initial offer was just by saying, I know what I'm worth and this is what I'm doing it for, take it or leave it. Right. Um, So I think having that sort of power to be able to come to the table and know your worth is, is something that everybody, regardless of profession, regardless of what realm of life they're using it in, is something that is just a great investment in yourself. Just getting to know your worth.
1: I love that. And you know, folks who have watched the show before usually know I have a stack of books right off camera, but I don't have <laughs> never split the difference right here with me right now. But I
0: have it on my coffee table. But
1: <laughs> one of the greats. Yeah. One of the greats. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made?
0: You know, that's a really hard question. Um, I, I will say that during residency, I made some of the bigger financial mistakes that a lot of doctors make in the sense that we had a little bit of a nest egg and we felt like we didn't have enough time to learn how to do anything with it. And so we actually gave that money to a financial advisor who definitely did not outperform the market. And I wish that I would have made the investment to learn a little bit about finances, enough to at least know how to put the money into a three-front portfolio and let it sit. But I think um, we definitely got some bad advice in that realm. And and I would take that back because I think that's probably the biggest lost opportunity cost for some of that money that that we could have had.
1: <laughs> My favorite question here at the end of the show is what yeah. is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing?
0: So I think that I guess I already kind of used this answer, but by far, I can't reiterate the importance enough of sort of knowing what it is that you want and knowing your worth in that space. Um, I think that there are so many people who undervalue themselves on a daily basis. And I think that people can smell blood in the water when you don't value yourself and you're bound to not only just make less money, but also be less happy, right? Um, With what you're getting. Because when you, when you feel like you're underappreciated or when you feel like you put in a lot of effort and you don't have that ROI, it's very, very hard to be able to ask for that or to, to enjoy the process. And I think that's where I see so many people dropping out of their side income streams because they say, I put in all this effort and I should have just worked an extra shift in the ER or I should have just you know, spent that time doing something that I know would have guaranteed cash instead of going through all this effort of trying to build a brand and create a website and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, I made a few thousand dollars in the year, right? So I think that that knowing your worth in that space and knowing what your targets are is really important. And I guess in line with that, and probably a different answer from the first answer that I gave is, is sort of knowing your why, right? Um, and I'm sure that a lot of your guests have said that. But for me, I think it took a long time to figure out exactly why I was doing what I was doing. I think at the beginning, I just was writing because I just wanted to, but I didn't have a goal. I didn't have you know, any reason for it. It was just stuff I wanted to get off of my chest. And I think as the, the number of things on my plate started mounting between things with my children as they got older and things with a full-time job in, in radiology and the side income stuff that was on the side, but very clearly escalating very rapidly, I found myself in this position where I just didn't know what I wanted to do, what I wanted to take off my plate. I spent a lot of time sitting around saying, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I do this? And, and really just wavering back and forth and not doing any of it very well. And I think at some point when it came push comes to shove, I was like, do I just shut down this group? Because it's just a waste, right? Like it's taking away from my happiness because it's just another thing that I have on my plate. So I think at that point I was forced to really examine what my goals were and why I was doing what I was doing. Um, and I think once I got a good sense of that, it became very cut and dry, what I put on my plate and what I don't put on my plate. So I think that that in the business realm and in the personal realm and, the, and you know, what has led to indirectly the financial success has really been tied to really having a good sense of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because I think as long as I kind of use that as my guiding light, the money comes um, because I'm just passionate about what I do. And I think people can see that. And I think when you do things without that passion behind it, people see right through that in this sort of gig economy where everybody's pitching something all the time. It's very easy to weed out the people who are just doing things to make a quick buck and the people who really are passionate about what they're doing. So I think I needed to find what that passion was and then have that be the guiding light so that everything I do comes across with that genuity that or like, you know, just this feeling that, okay, right, she's doing this because she actually wants to educate physicians. She wants people to be stronger in business and finance. She wants to empower people such that they can have long, fulfilling lives in medicine. And, and now everything that I do is just tied back to, am I fulfilling that mission? And if I am, then it's an easy yes. And if I'm not, then I take it off my plate and don't look back. And that's that's been really good for me.
1: Nice, I love that. And you are obviously dedicated to what you're doing. You joined me here on a Sunday evening when you (laughs) just got back from a vacation. So I commend you for that. Thank you for everything today. If folks want to learn more about you, if they want to get in touch, if they want to find your Facebook groups, what have you, where can they find you?
0: Yeah. So the easiest way to do it is just to go to my self-titled site, which has links to everything. So it's just www.nishamethamd.com. And I know you probably can't spell that. So it's dot dcom and an easier link without, I guess most of your people might be not in a place where they can sit things down so or sit down and write something down. So just www.physiciansidegeeks.com will also link you to the various different ways of finding me. So the online communities are all linked through there. So physiciansidegates.com.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And the links will be in the show notes too. So if anybody perfect, this will be in there. So, well, thank you once again for joining us today. It's great lessons to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple podcasts is very much appreciated. Helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thanks for tuning in once again. Have a great day and a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you on the next one.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you.